Hello and welcome to My Favorite Movie Is, a podcast all about celebrating our all-time favorite movies through fresh, positive takes from passionate movie lovers. I'm your host and fellow passionate movie lover, Larry Freed, and you are listening to The Bonus Round, a fun spin-off segment from our main show in which we get to ask our guests a series of fun, sometimes silly questions about their all-time favorite movie and why they love it. Questions like, if you could pair your movie with another movie to make a double feature, which movie would you pair it with? Or if you could have one frame of this movie hung up in your home for all to see, which would it be? Or in the Monopoly edition of your movie, what are the six playable tokens? You know, the important stuff. Today's guest is director, writer, and actress Anna Chazelle, and her movie of choice is The Sixth Sense, featuring one of the most iconic twists in film history. If you missed our initial conversation on the film in which we dive deep into how The Sixth Sense and its portrayal of child abuse and trauma left an indelible impact on a young Anna first discovering the horrors of, well, horror, it's available wherever you get your podcasts and it's also available on our website, mfmipodcast.com slash sixth sense. But for those of you who did the homework, I hope you enjoy another fun installment of the My Favorite Movie Is bonus round. This is a fun little questionnaire that we ask all of our guests to get a little bit more insight into why they love this movie so much. A little bit of banter, a little bit of jokes. Some of these questions are very silly. I make no apologies. Let's dive right in. First question. Do you have a favorite Sonic moment in this film? Maybe the soundtrack of the film or in the sound design? Is there a moment that really sticks out for you? Oh, my God. Yes, I just remembered what it was. <laughs> so uh, the scene where Bruce Willis is listening to his old tapes from Vincent and he leaves the room and comes back in in the tapes and Vincent is suddenly terrified. And so Bruce Willis rewinds and he turns the volume all the way up and you could hear very, very faintly this voice in Spanish crying that he doesn't want to die. <laughs> And that is the moment in the film when Bruce Willis realizes, I love that I just call him Bruce Willis and not by his character name, Malcolm. Um, <laughs> that is where Bruce Willis himself realizes that ghosts are real. Yes. <laughs> the whole thing was a documentary. Um, but that, I just thought, when I saw that, was so scary. And I said to myself, I am never, ever, ever going to record an empty room and listen to it back because you are just asking to be haunted. You are asking for the ghosts to haunt you. Indeed. No question. When he gets locked in the in the um thing, what are the I what are those old too. school things? The fire uh, is the fire escape. Dumb waiter. That's what they're called. Him banging, mm. needing to be let out. The entire sort of slow motion sequence. Tony trying to get in there. It's a incredibly effective moment. If you had to have one quote from this movie engraved on your tombstone when you, God forbid, depart this world uh, after taking a brief stint in this afterlife that The Sixth Sense provides us, what would it be? I mean, do I even have to say it? I see dead people. 
It's a cliche, but it's got whole new meaning now because you literally see them now. If I, if it's probably. on a tombstone, it's a little like, yeah, no, that tracks. <laughs> no, yeah, <laughs> no. I mean, if you don't see dead people when you're dead, I, there'd probably be some concerns. <laughs> um, no, great. Honestly, I was afraid you were going to answer that, but now that I think about it, it's a perfect answer. <laughs> Here's a fun one: What is the best film in M Night Shyamalan's filmography? besides for the sixth sense so i have not seen all of his other films um so take this with a grain of salt i am gonna say something very controversial here which oh, is here we go exclusive i really enjoyed the village i only Ooh. saw it for the first time a couple of months ago and i went in thinking okay i have only heard people say how much they disliked it so i went in really expecting something god-awful I don't understand what all the fuss is about. I enjoyed it. Is it a horror film? That's debatable. But I think if you remove the label of horror, I think it is a quite effective film. I don't know. I was expecting something far worse. I I very much enjoyed it. Interesting. I won't comment any further. Because that could be a a whole podcast. It could be a whole podcast, unfortunately. struck a nerve. No, I mean, uh, you know what? Unbreakable would probably be my answer. That is another uh, Bruce Willis uh, Mm -hmm. and my Shyamalan performance. Samuel L. Jackson, great film. And Split as well is is a film that I, I greatly enjoy. I enjoyed Split, um, Unbreakable, I will confess. I, I have seen it, but I saw it so long ago that I, I don't remember enough of it to properly assess my opinions on it. You know, it's, uh, it's worth a revisit. It's quite a great film. And Samuel L. Jackson in it doesn't skip a beat. If you were able to get one frame of this film printed and no pun intended framed and hung up in your home, which would it be and why? Okay, so I have two answers here, and one of them... I'll take both. Okay, one of them is a bit more of a literal response to your question. One of them is a little bit more... I'd be taking a few liberties. The literal response would be that scene when Cole is having breakfast, Tony Collette leaves the kitchen momentarily to go change laundry or whatever, comes back in, it's one seamless shot, she's gone for all of three seconds, and every single cabinet in the kitchen is open. (laughs) That scared me so much as a kid. And it's such a subtle thing. Like, there's no blood dripping from the walls or levitating tables or anything. It's just every cabinet's open. So scary. Um, The other slight cheat to your answer, it's not a frame, it's a sequence. And it is when Bruce Willis uh, is at Cole's house and is playing that game of if I say something true, you have to take a step forward. If I say something false, you have to take a step back. After a couple of back and forth of these questions, the camera no longer shows Cole actually taking a step forward or back, but it rather moves towards Bruce Willis or moves right. away. I just love that so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He just, he asks a question, the camera moves away. He asks another, the camera moves away again. Oh, I just, I, I love that small little cine, cinematography. Oh my God, cinematog- that choice of cinematography. Cinematographical. There we go. It's not a word that people use, but that would be the, that would be the natural extension of what you were going for. I really love the reveal of the man who was shot with the shotgun. 
I adore that reveal so much and that would be the frame I mean I don't know if I'd want to put that up in my house per se because I don't think that would be such a great piece of decor (laughs) but it is probably my favorite moment in the film in terms of just "Ah!" oh my god I mean also as we mentioned previously Misha Barton with the vomit do I want that on my wall not really but so scary but so I gotta appreciate it every horror aficionado should have like a a hall of just iconic horror images just for them and nobody else just for them (laughs) unless they want to go watch walk through it the gallery I don't know why do you have a framed picture of a little girl vomiting why don't you (laughs) well now that you mentioned I was on this podcast and then it just uh, just goes off the rails Is there a book or an article or some other published work that you think would make for a good piece of further reading? Going back to what you and I discussed previously, how this film I personally think is a great allegory for a child coping with abuse in some form, a text that probably investigates or explores the psychological ramifications that abuse or any kind of traumatic event or a child being exposed to something that they should not be exposed to at that age, I wouldn't be surprised if the the resulting behavior is similar to what we see Cole endure in the film. I can't point to a particular text because, believe it or not, I have not read that many psychological textbooks on childhood development. Really? I could, oh. I can't believe it. What do I even do in my spare time? Goodness. I know. Goodness. What, do you write them films or something? Seek it out yourself, viewer. <laughs> Jeez, do a little bit of work, huh? If you could have been a fly on the wall for one day of the production process of this film, and that includes pre-production, production, or post-production, which would it have been and why? Mm. Oh, that is a good question. Oh, I know. It would be the scene where Cole and his mother are in the car and is mm. when he finally tells her what is going on. Um, first of all, I just think that line of... A lady. She died. Oh, my God. But you can see her? Yes. Where is she? Standing next to my window. Oh, my God, just gives me gives me chills. But I just think, my God, talk about tremendous acting from Haley Joel Osment, who I don't know how old he was, but I imagine he was roughly 10 years old. That scene, I just think, is so moving. It is so emotional. I think that Haley Joel Osment commands a emotional range that many adults cannot reach. And I don't want to... Uh, place too much credit on solely the fact that he was young. I I think that regardless, it was a very well-acted scene and a a well-acted portrayal of that character. But of course, the fact that he was young, I think, adds an additional layer. And I think that scene, if there's any scene that I can point to, to be like, oh, he does such a phenomenal job in this film, it, it would be that scene. It is a film that is so heartfelt. Which is something I think that some other people may not expect about this movie if they've never seen it. It is a movie that just Haley Joel Osment's character is so, in a bizarre way, lovable. Just you know, despite the uh, despite the context of the film, 
uh, you know, he looks like a little college professor walking yeah. around. And I can't help but be like, oh, we must protect you at all costs. Yeah. Like you mentioned <laughs> earlier in the in the conversation. That disposition in combination with his relationship with Tony Collette's character, his mother, makes for this just in, such a such an important core love at the center of the film. And I think that it is an absolutely necessary piece. Uh, that nobody talks about when they discuss this movie. And to- I mean, Tony Collette, we have barely touched on oh. her, but incredible early performance from Tony oh, Collette. Oh, incredible. That scene is is amazing. It was that scene when I was watching it, I was like, yeah, this is great. This is, this mm-hmm. is a great movie. Like that was the scene that was like, solidified it right then and there. It is interesting considering how much we have discussed, obviously both this film, but also Hereditary, that we haven't mentioned Tony Collette's um, <laughs> uh, filmography as a horror queen. Both films, very different performances, very different stages of her career. And both of them, I think, are so iconic. Both performances from her. Truly. We need more horror from Toni Collette is the, is the bottom line. Who is somebody you would like to share this film with that you haven't yet? So the thing is, I don't know who in my circle has seen this and who hasn't. I imagine most of my friends who have any appreciation for horror have seen it because it is just so quintessential. I am not going to force someone in my circle who does not like horror to sit down and watch this film. Um, I wouldn't do that. So it is a little tricky to say. I would be very interested in discussing this film with my brother. We haven't like sat down and discussed, what do you think of this film? So I would be curious just to hear his take on it, uh, if he feels similarly about it as I do. But I don't feel like that's not someone who I feel needs to see this film. I think that most people should watch this film. Well, it's also about sharing the film with someone. And it sounds like regardless of whether or not you, uh, you know, you watch it together, that is a form of sharing the film. Okay. I really do feel that like, People who perhaps have a misconception of what horror is, this is a good film to use as an introduction to horror, to indicate that it is not simply, horror is not necessarily solely slasher monsters. Um, It can be, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not all it is. Horror can be extremely emotional and extremely cathartic, and that there is a reason why we as humans are drawn to it over and over and over. There's a call of the void that I think that we are, as humans, find ourselves constantly drawn to. We find ourselves wanting to kind of teeter on the precipice just to see, like, how far can we lean over? And I think that horror films, horror stories in general, are quite an effective way of proving to ourselves what we can endure without actually putting ourselves in danger. They can be very effective cautionary tales, but also I think that they can bring us together. Any kind of experience that involves heightened emotionality, whether it is comedy, whether it is horror, whether it is a roller coaster, brings people together. And I think that many people dismiss horror because they don't understand the appeal of wanting to be scared, which is fair. That is completely fair. I think that anyone, perhaps Trisha, um, so our our mutual friend, Trisha. Previous guest of the show, Trisha. Who does not like horror. Perhaps she's seen this film. I don't know. But if she hasn't, I think I would be intrigued to hear her (sighs) take on it. Has she seen this? <laughs> That's actually a great 
question. I don't know if they've covered this. I feel like they did cover it on the podcast, Beyond the Screenplay, Trisha's podcast. On the podcast, perhaps they did. I don't know for sure. Wait a second. Now, see, this is going to kill me because it's all Call her and find out. (laughs) I do not think that they've covered The Sixth Sense, which is weird because I know that they've talked about it on podcast before in some other capacity. They so, have discussed horror. Oh, it was The Ring. I was like, I know there was they some. They did do The Ring. Oh, my God. I do Trisha love the did ring. not have a good time with that movie at all. It looks like they also did Psycho, which I have not listened to that one. Yeah, well, just sorry, sorry, Trisha, not to discuss you when you're not able to defend yourself, but we both know she doesn't love horror. <laughs> to be honest with you, I think she would get through this movie just fine, personally. I you, there are a couple of yeah, there are a couple of like spooky moments, but mm-hmm. if she gets it through the ring and manage it, this movie. And I mean, this is like move. This is the part of the canon. You know, I feel like mm-hmm. it's about time. Hashtag Trisha watch the Sixth Sense. <laughs> oh, here's a fun one. This is one. This is one of the best questions we have for the bonus round, and I'm very interested to hear your take on this. If you were doing a double feature. And The Sixth Sense was one of the films that you were programming. What other film would you program it with? In what order would you program them? And the only stipulation I am adding is that you cannot pair it with another M. Night Shyamalan movie. So it needs to be a different uh, director at the very least. What would you say, Anna? I would pair this with The Babadook. Uh, nice. The Babadook, for from several reasons. First of all, The Babadook is also a film that I, I credit with my love of horror as you and i discussed previously i went through many years of not liking horror um even though i found myself continually drawn to it but i didn't intentionally like horror until i watched the babadook and then suddenly i realized oh wait i actually really really love this and i'm going to start intentionally watching it the babadook which i've watched in my 20s um was i think one of the first times that i realized how that modern horror filmmaking could be as equally effective as some of the classics. Because I think there was a period where there was a lot of slasher and there was a lot of of torture porn and a lot of very gruesome Mm. films, which I don't, I'm not particularly drawn to those. Uh, As you and I have discussed, I love the slow burn. I love the psychological horror. And so watching The Babadook um, made me realize, oh, okay, ev- great. Not everything has to have blood and guts. And there's some blood in The Babadook. But in any case, the reason why I would pair that with this is that both of them involve young children who have uncanny senses for the supernatural around them in a way that they need to convince the adults in their lives of. And both they're extremely different um executions uh you have one film where you have the adult who is actively trying to help the child and you have the other one where the mother is at her her wit's end with her child who is claiming that there is a storybook monster that is haunting them but i think both of them are very interesting explorations of i guess i can't really say parent child because malcolm and cole are not parent child but he is a father figure so let's just say parent child dynamics in horror films mm-hmm. Great pick. Just truly might be the perfect one. I can't personally think of one. I'm not, I do love horror, but I cannot think of a movie that I would necessarily pair this with. But, uh, and I normally love to give an answer for this, but it's too hard. In the Anna Chazelle Film Festival, 
And I'm going to give you five slots here. I'm going to give you a noon, a three, a six, a nine, and a midnight. Just because horror fans love a good midnight slot. What films are we programming in this festival? What does the Anna Chazelle One Day Film Festival look like at a glance? Does that have to include this film? Or it could be any five. It would. I mean, it would ideally, but it does not have to. If you wish to program a certain theme of some other kind, I encourage creativity in the highest form. I don't know if this would necessarily be the order, um, but as far as the, the five films, I mean, I think definitely The Sixth Sense. Definitely The Babadook, as I mentioned before. Debating if I should put The Shining on there simply because... So many people have already seen it, and it's just like, yeah, you know, it, it feels like it's taken up a slot when most people who are drawn to these films would have seen it already. I don't I know. You. I'm going to put that up. Put that on the maybe. I think I would have The Witch on there. Ooh. Um, I think I would put St. Maud, but that came out wow. in 2020, I believe. Yes. I love that film. I heard, I've heard nothing but great, uh, great things about that movie. It is. Very beautiful and just, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but I, I strongly recommend. And um, this is going to be a bit different. This is going to be a bit of a palate cleanser. So maybe it comes in between, like maybe it's number three in this film festival. 1999, The Mummy is uh, oh, a, yes. a guilty pleasure for which I feel no guilt. <laughs> I think that that film, I almost... Almost suggested that we discuss that film because yes, you did. I love it so much. You did. <laughs> I forgot <laughs> though before this conversation. Um, I love I love that. Certainly a film that that deserves a recontextualization in the modern eye. And yeah. I will tell you, this is not you are not the first guest to reject the mummy as their as their pick for this show. Oh, we are slowly we are slowly approaching the point at which we have to talk about the mummy. You could do like a group podcast of everyone who who wanted to talk about the mummy but didn't. That that is actually an inspired idea. <laughs> I'm actually going to take a note of that. I have so many opinions about that film. One of I have two cats. One of them is named Evie, not after the Pokemon, but after Rachel Weisz's character in the Mummy. I think she is an incredibly feminist character. Um, I have many, many thoughts about how that film it works so well because it does not take itself too seriously. I could go on that for hours. So um, save that for another time. Last question. Probably the silliest question, but I can't wait to see what you answer. In the Monopoly edition of The Sixth Sense, what are the six playable tokens? Six. I need six. Okay, so we got... The the red doorknob, very important. Um, we got the the red balloon. Um, we have the tape flare. We have the glasses that Cole wears. Great pick. And we have the the figurine of I believe it's the Virgin Mary that he steals from the church to put him in his in his own little sanctuary. Yes. And there's many other um very important objects within the film. But I think for this particular game, those are the ones I'm gonna choose. I feel like for me personally, Cole would have to be one. Cole himself. You could have people? I didn't know I there was mean, an option. I mean, like, in the Marvel Monopoly or whatever, you can play as the Marvel heroes, so... What kind of Monopoly have you 
I'm talking about classic Monopoly. Oh, uh, excuse me. I'm the person who wrote the question. I am very familiar <laughs> with the context in which I'm asking it. I'm just saying that he, the actual characters of Monopoly pieces is not off the table. And it is not off the table for this question either. We have thrown around many uh, characters to be tokens. Although, okay. obviously, that's not as creative. But, like, coal is such a... <laughs> coal is short enough to be... A piece, relatively speaking. So he's tiny enough. Yeah, he is tiny enough. That's what I'm saying. I personally would also okay. do just the head of the guy who got who got blasted with a shotgun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that is a given. That is a child. That is a, uh... a kid who says to Cole, "Hey, come on, I'll show you where my dad keeps his gun." And he turns around, and half of his head is blown off. And I do think that's just an important distinction because it is so tragic. I am tempted to say Misha Barton mid-barf, but that may be mm. too much. Might not get past the censors. And I guess that's really it. I mean, the only other thing is I'm thinking about the six. I'm wondering mm. if that can play a role in there somewhere. But that's not really a thing in the movie, so that might be a bit disingenuous. Um, but I think we come up with a lot of good ideas. I think whoever is ready to make this happen has has a lot of fodder to go off of already and it was such a thrill to have you on my favorite movie is thank you for taking the time if you want to drive our audience's attention to any of your upcoming projects or projects that they can access right now the floor is yours well thank you uh you can see my directorial debut post-apocalyptic short film on shortoftheweek.com it is called narrow that is n like nancy a-r-r-o-w and stay tuned for my upcoming uh, feature film debut about the origin of Medusa coming from Fangoria Studios. Incredibly, incredibly exciting. Anna, thank you so much for being here. It was a pleasure to have you. It's been my pleasure. So tell me, viewer, what movie would you pair with The Sixth Sense to make a double feature? Which one of the ghosts in the movie scares you the most? And do you think the village deserves a fair shake? Hopefully not. But whether or not you do, let us know in the My Favorite Movie Is Discord community. Now I know that joining yet another online community can be a hard sell these days, especially as the discourse in the film community in particular can be just incredibly toxic and judgmental. I've experienced it firsthand. I'm sure you have too, but I implore you to give our community a chance. We are a group of passionate, positive movie lovers who want nothing more than to hear all of your stories and movie memories and welcome you with open arms. So what are you waiting for? Join us in the My Favorite Movie Is Discord community. It is 100% free of charge and here for you. I hope to see you there. My Favorite Movie Is is a Larry Freed Presents production. It was created by me, Larry Freed. It is also produced and hosted by me. And this episode was also co-edited by me alongside our house editor, Fernando Queiroz. Our graphic designer is Monica Sarmiento, and our motion graphics designer is Elton Greenfield. Our theme song, Now and Then, as well as other original music featured on this show, was composed and performed by Matt Gorduke. A special thank you to Anna Chazelle for being an incredible guest and for being so generous with her time. And another massive special thanks to our patrons, Charles, Mo, Keith, Tony, Rafi, Taylor, and Sean. You guys are the reason I feel motivated enough to continue making this show. And for that, I thank you deeply. 
Did you know that patrons of My Favorite Movie Is get uncut and ad-free versions of every episode of our show for just $5 a month? That's just a little bit more than your average cup of coffee. Unless you're getting venti mocha frappuccinos at Starbucks, in which case you're probably paying more than that. These uncut and ad-free versions of the show sometimes add up to double, sometimes even triple the amount of podcast content. So if you want more, my favorite movie is, and you also want to help support this show and help keep it growing, you can join us at patreon.com slash MFMI podcast. This has been your host, Larry Freed. Thank you so much for listening to My Favorite Movie Is. 